I'd like you to stand for the reading if you're able to today. If you're not able to stand, that's just fine. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read the first 14 verses in our reading today as we continue in our branding Christmas series. Hebrews chapter 10, incredibly important passage of Scripture. And I'll read it aloud. I hope you'll follow along with me there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, hope you can look on with somebody who's close to you. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offer year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this great doctrinal passage. I pray that it would be made plain to each of our hearts today, no matter what age or stage of life we're in, that you would work through the Holy Spirit. And remind us of the importance and the priority of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated right after this song, we'll look at brand symbols this morning. Therefore, the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Captivity 
Thank you ladies for that. Last week we started by discovering the brand name that God has set forth in his word in sending his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And we discussed the attachments that are made so easily in the human mind by branding. Our minds are constantly imprinted with information. And let's see how well, your brains are working here today, all right? What's the quicker picker-upper? What is it? Bounty, right? How many of you said bounty? Look at these brainiacs here. All right, what's the other white meat? Pork, right? I think chicken's the first one. What's finger looking good? Yeah. All right, I don't know if that's their slogan anymore. Uh, how about 
have it your way. Burger King, that's since the early 70s on this one. Uh, here's one, Let's see if you know it. Our repairmen are the loneliest guys in town. They tag, all right. Uh, now this one, this one kind of, this one's really easy. Um, nothing runs like a deer. Uh, John Deere, right? It's pretty easy. Um, how about, uh, what's the fabric of our lives? Cotton, yeah, cotton. Uh, today, though, I'd like to take this a little further and venture into brand symbols. And yeah, so we'll start, and yeah, you guys know what this is, right? You know what this is? Right. I guess I should have pointed him this way. I, I don't know where his sound thing is. It's the Aflac duck. Um, now, what if I get into some type of accident at my house or at the workplace? And I call these people at Aflac up. And I tell them about my accident. And ask them how they're going to pay for it. And they say to me on the phone, Sir, we don't have any record of you in our system. Have you ever filled out an application? Have you ever become a member of AFLAC? And I say, well, listen to me, ma'am or sir on the phone. I have one of your ducks right here. I have seen thousands of your commercials. I know everything about you. Do you think they're going to pay my bill just because I have one of their ducks? Do you think God's going to let you into heaven just because you have one of his symbols? So that's kind of where we're going this morning with that. Now, so I'll let the Aflac duck sit right there for a while. I don't know if I've ever mentioned before. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are already laughing. Um, I may have mentioned at least once that, that I like Dutch Brothers coffee. Um, and I even had one this morning. Yeah, this is a beautiful cup. It's a Christmas, Christmas with the Dutch windmill. Very nice on it. Um, how many of you understand that the cup is totally meaningless if there's nothing inside? Right? Dutch Brothers cups are lovely and beautiful. But if there ain't no Dutch Brothers coffee in it, it's worthless. It's a piece of garbage. I make oatmeal in my extra cups um, just about every day. It's a thought for some of you who have the extra Dutch Brothers cup. But the cup without anything in it is no good. It's not going to do you any good. Um, and so I thought that's another symbol we could look at. Now, I also have here today two very important documents for women, I guess, and for some men. Um, the Betty Crocker's cookbook and uh, this one. Do not leave home without this one. This is the Better Homes and Gardens new cookbook. And I'm sure you can tell it's new just because it's, I mean, look at it. It's new. And uh, so you have both of these cookbooks here. And they are filled with amazing recipes. Um, you look through here, and outlines of meals. And I guarantee you that if I started reading today, that I could make you very hungry. If I started reading the recipes and uh, the symbols of food here, beef stew, lemon squares, 
peanut butter squares, cinnamon rolls, autumn roast chicken, oven fried chicken. How do you do oven fried chicken? Um, Mock mayonnaise, which I'm sure is a highlight to to many of you. So you have here these symbols, but here's the deal. I've never eaten anything out of this book, right? Because I don't eat paper. I've never eaten anything. Now, I've eaten some of the things that have been produced by the outlines in this book, but I've never eaten the book. This book has never provided any meat or potatoes for my family. And so, once again, some more symbols that we have here. And then I've got one more. And you guys probably have never seen this before. See this? See? Very young lady here. Um, this is not my wife. It's not. But it is a picture of my wife when she was very young. And of course, she still is very young. Um, yes. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. All right. I would have assumed that the entire crowd would have clapped on that one um, to bless her heart today, but you guys are mean-spirited, and, and the Christmas spirit is just not flowing through you. Um, so this is a picture. Now, this picture is comforting. I keep it in my office. But it is inadequate. Here's why. It's not my wife. This picture cannot send me a text message. I can't have a conversation with it unless I have some major issues. (laughs) I know that many of you married folks, there are times in your marriage where you would rather talk to the picture than the person. But in our marriage, it's never been like that, of course. Um, I can't receive a kiss from this picture, once again, unless I'm very strange. Um, I can't persuade it to cook meals for me. It is an accurate likeness and representation, but it's a far cry from the real thing. And I have to tell you, as we talk about symbols today, that religion is full of symbolism. It's just completely chocked full of symbolism. But it is empty without substance. And when it comes to Christmas, we see symbols everywhere. I mean, everywhere you look. People who have no regard for God are willing to sing beautiful Christmas carols. You may have a Frank Sinatra Christmas record. Wonder what old Frank thought about God. Wonder where he's spending eternity right now. You may have Bing singing the carols. Oh, I love Bing Crosby Christmas. But... You can sing a Christmas carol as a symbol without knowing the God of the Christmas carol. That's pretty evident and obvious. People put up manger scenes. And they adore the thought of the cuddly little baby in the straw. My youngest sister, uh, Mrs. Crownover, had her first baby this past week. Yeah, she's home resting today. She had a C-section. Yeah, so Brianna Marie... Nine pounds, six ounces. Took after her father on that one. And so, um, but they are proud parents. And we were over there last night, 
and our kids were so excited to hold and cuddle little Brianna. And I mean, you have to be a pretty hard critter not to think babies are cute, right? Um, some men are pretty tough on that. Um, but here you have this symbol, and the baby Jesus of the manger is a symbol. He's not a reality. The reality is a Savior nailed to a cross by my sin and by your sin. And I'd like to look at some brand symbols that are given by God to us that assure us we have a way into relationship with Him. And the notes are provided in your bullets, and we'll see it in three ways. Let's see first many symbols. There are many symbols. Some people were types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. God, throughout His Word, gave us this outline or this map to show us to the real thing. And so there are types all the way through the Old Testament. Some of those types were people, like Adam. Jesus entered the world in a unique way, just like Adam did. He entered the world sinless, just like Adam did. And by his action, the entire world was changed. Romans says that by the disobedience of Adam, all men were made sinners. But the, by the obedience of Jesus Christ, all men were made righteous. And so Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. Um, Aaron is a type of Jesus Christ. Like Aaron, Jesus is the high priest of a new priesthood. Like David, he's the king. Like Isaac, he came from a miraculous birth and was offered up as a sacrifice by his father. Like Joseph, he was rejected by his brethren, only later to be recognized as Savior, a deliverer. I like this one, Boaz. Like Boaz, he is the kinsman redeemer. And I love to read the book of Ruth and to see that type or that picture. See, God didn't give us the Old Testament just as a storybook of history. God didn't put all those endless genealogies in there just so we'd fall asleep in our Bible reading. All right, and I know that some of you have often thought, God, why did you put these in here? I'm in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and I can't handle it. I'm halfway through Leviticus and I'm done. I can't read anymore about what they did in the house for leprosy. And sometimes we're wondering what the types are and what the symbols are for. And I tell you, they all point to one person, Messiah. The entire Old Testament points forward to Messiah, and the entire New Testament looks back at Messiah. Every symbol that God ever made, whether it was a person or these other things we'll look at, point to Jesus Christ. There are many human types of Christ, but none of them are the Savior. Only He is Savior. Some events were types of Jesus Christ. Right after Adam and Eve sinned. In fact, in Genesis 3, at verse 21, if you'd like to look at it, the coats of skins that were made for them by God are a type of Christ's covering for the sinner. And so even in the event of their sin, God showed a type or a way of redemption back to him. Noah's ark 
is mentioned in 2 Peter as a type of Christ, as a way of escaping the corruption of sin. The Exodus, the event of the Exodus, has numerous types of Christ. He is our Passover. He is like the Red Sea, the Bible says. The Bible tells us He is the water from the rock. He is the manna for believers, the true bread from heaven. In John 6.31, it talks about that. Jesus himself declared it. Hebrews declares that he is the promised land, the everlasting rest for his people. It's just some events were types. Also, there were some things that were types of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices were all types of Christ, as we read in our text today. And we'll look at more in just a minute in Hebrews 10. Specifically, the lamb as a sacrifice is a type of the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. In the Old Testament history, Aaron's rod that budded out, it was a dead stick and all of a sudden it grew buds, is a type of Jesus Christ. The brass serpent that was placed on the pole is a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself talked about that one. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. The cities of refuge in the Old Testament were types of Christ, where the sinner could flee for refuge for his soul. And that's talked about in Hebrews as well. Hebrews 9 discusses the veil of the temple being like Christ. Many things types of Christ, but they are not Christ. And without Him, they are empty. Without Him, you are empty. There is no symbol that can take away your sin. Some ceremonies and feasts were types of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going into depth on these, I realize, but I, I want you to know that they're out there. Hundreds of them available to study. These include Passover, which we already discussed. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a type of Christ. The First Fruits is a type of Christ, mentioned in the New Testament many times, that He is our first fruit. He is the firstborn from the dead. The Day of Atonement is a type of Christ. And I wish that we had time to do a study on each of these types today. But suffice it to say that there are many brand symbols that outline who Messiah is. Everything pointed to Messiah. There's the old saying from the, the Middle Ages that all roads lead to Rome. And uh, sometimes in modern religion, we get this idea that all belief systems lead to heaven. Or just as long as you believe, that means you're on a path. And that path will certainly take you to God. But the Word of God paints a completely different picture. See, God says the brand symbols that I gave, that I made, they do all lead to Messiah, Jesus Christ. But there are many other things you can believe that lead to absolutely nowhere. They lead you to nothingness. And so... There are many symbols. But then we see, secondly, that there is no substitute. There was no possibility that any of the symbols could become the way of salvation for mankind. Look back to the text of Hebrews chapter 10. 
And I want you to notice the wording here in verse number four. It's just so clear. God gives us this truth, plain and simple. Look what it says in verse number four. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Isn't that plain? God says it's not possible. There's no way that an animal sacrifice could take away sin. God had no interest in animal sacrifices beyond their symbolism. He had none. It's very clear in the text. Look at verse number 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. So God wasn't interested. A body. God in in human form had to come to this earth. That's what verse 5 is about. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5 is Christmas. Look what it says. Wherefore, when he cometh, he's talking about the Savior, Jesus, into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. That's what Christmas is. It's God coming in a human body. God coming to this earth in a human body. The indicators of just who the Savior must be were recorded numerous times in the Old Testament covenant. Prophecies were given that detail hundreds of things about Messiah. And we won't look them up today, but suffice it to say, if you've never been acquainted at all with Old Testament prophecy, it gives the very lineage of his human birth. What line and what family and what tribe Messiah would come through. The Old Testament gives the fact that he would be born of a virgin. In fact, it uses that word. The very word for a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. The prophet Micah gave the exact town where he would be born. And later, the town where he would live as a toddler is listed, Nazareth. It talks about the fact that his family would go into Egypt for a season. All of the symbols are important. But they are worth nothing without the substance. There is no substitute for Jesus Christ. See, the cookbook will do you no good unless you have ingredients. And if you never go to the store and get the ingredients, all the cookbook will be is a shelf ornament. I'm sure that many of you have those shelf ornaments, right? Um, I don't know if any of you husbands will admit this about your dear wife, but the first time that she tried to use the Betty Crocker cookbook to make bread, and she made brick instead, maybe, or maybe she was trying to make casserole, and she made something that was inedible to the human race, um, the cookbook is just, just a way to go. You still have to have the substance inside. You still got to be real. And that's the way Christmas is. That's the way the branding of Christmas is by God and his word. Satan, we talked about this last week, would like nothing better than to paint Christmas as this quaint holiday where there are elves and snowmen and jingle bells and... And there are these wonderful uh, holly and mistletoe and stockings and a a big guy in a red suit with a white beard. 
He would love for that to be the case, is what we think about when we think about Christmas. But even when we think about Christian, uh, Christian Christmas, when we think about Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1, we still sometimes miss the entire picture. Because God gave many symbols, but there's no substitute. And here's why. There's one sacrifice. That's the third part of the message. One sacrifice. I love these verses in Hebrews 10. They describe so wonderfully the sacrifice Jesus made for the human race, for me. Look again, Hebrews 10, verse number 10. It says, by the which will we are sanctified by Jesus Christ saying, I will do everything under the will of my Father. We are sanctified by that will through, look what it says, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then it goes back to the Old Testament picture. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same, look at this phrase, sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Here's the devil's biggest lie. The one that sends billions of people to eternal death in a place called hell. Here's his biggest lie. This can take away your sin. Fill in the blank. This can take away your sin. You know what that blank is? Anything but Jesus Christ. And that lie works on billions of people. This church can take away your sin. (coughs) Bow at this place. It can take away your sin. (coughs) Possess these jewels or these rings or this rosary. And that can take away your sin. Symbols cannot take away your sin. There is no human sacrifice or work or event that can take away your sin. By one offering, it says, the offering of himself. Now, I want you to highlight in verse number 12 because this is so good. It says, but this man, talking about Messiah, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He sat down. Verse 12 reminds us that Jesus became the one sacrifice for sins forever. And then he sat down on the right hand of God. His work on this earth was finished. Here's another symbol just even in that verse. The Old Testament temple had no seating. Couldn't sit down in the Old Testament temple. How many want to go back to the Old Testament? (laughs) Want to stand up for church. There was no place to sit. If you came as a worshiper, if you were a priest, anybody in the temple, there's no place to sit down. Here's why. Because the work wasn't finished. Work wasn't finished. They stood for every part of the temple ministry. And when Jesus hung on the cross, and he shed his blood, and he cried out, It is finished. And then... He sat down. 
Victory has been claimed for you and for me if we'll trust in the one sacrifice. Now let's look at this next verse in Hebrews 10. I want you to see verse 14 again. Here is how simple God makes truth. How simple he makes what Christmas really is. Look at verse number 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You know what sanctified really means? All it means is that you used it for the right thing. You know, when God made human beings, you know what the original purpose was for God in human beings? That we would glorify him. He made us for his pleasure. And when we sinned as a human race against him, we were not sanctified. We were not being used for what he had made us for. And so he made a way for us to be used for the proper use. Listen to me. You would be a fool to take your vacuum cleaner out and to use it to, to build a house. That would be dumb, right? Just, in fact, some of you can't even smile about it because it's so dumb. So this is the dumbest illustration I've ever heard. You would be incredibly dumb to take your nice wristwatch and go out and dig a hole with it. Right? But as sinners, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be used in a different way than we've been created. God made you to be used by Him. And until you claim the once-for-all sacrifice, you can't be sanctified. You can't be used for the reason he made you. He wants to use us in that way. And so in giving of himself, Jesus made a sacrifice. A once for all sacrifice. Now think about this for a minute. If the sacrifice of a lamb gave salvation, why did they have to come back the next year? That's what the passage is asking. If the blood of a sacrifice on this earth could take away sin, why'd you have to go back the next year? And then it plainly tells you, because it couldn't. So Jesus gave himself. And in giving himself, Jesus became the sacrifice. He became the redemptive sacrifice. He became the redemptive sacrifice. What does that mean? It means for our sins. He, re- he became the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says it this way. I love this verse. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Ephesians 1.7 says it this way. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 1 Corinthians 6, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Symbols could not redeem us from sin. Baptism is a beautiful symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But that's all it is. It cannot redeem you from sin. If water could, you, could redeem you from sin, why did Jesus come? There was already water. Communion is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us on the cross. 
with his broken body and his shed blood. But it can't redeem us. And so it was a redeeming sacrifice, but also it was a reconciling sacrifice. And what that means is to our God. It was a sacrifice to our God. We could not make a sacrifice for our own sins that God would accept. And so Jesus became that sacrifice to God for us. I want you to see this passage as we get ready to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The law was an outline that pointed out the need for a Savior. The law was empty. It could not and it still cannot save. But there is one sacrifice, once for all, that can reconcile us with God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 18. Look what it says. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ. Once again, this is Christmas. God was in Christ. God became a body on this earth through Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. God made this sacrifice through Christ. That's a reconciling sacrifice. But then we see is the very last thing. It is a revealed sacrifice. It's a revealed sacrifice from our God. God wants us to know how to come to him. I mean, that's why he gave all the symbols. That's why he gave all the types. That's why he gave all the pictures to point out who he was. <laughs> you remember when you were a kid and you did the little, um, I don't even know how you do it. It's called dot to dot. Is that what it's called? Where they'd give you numbers and you had to connect all the dots and the numbers. And you remember how you'd think, I don't even know what that is. You start with the dot, and then you do the next dot, and then you do the next dot. And you couldn't, probably like me, you couldn't draw a straight line, so your dot was kind of like this. But over time, the more dots you got, the more you connected the dots, all of a sudden a light bulb went off in your head. Wow, it's a rabbit. You finally got the picture. And without the dots, you never would have known what that was if you wouldn't have connected the dots. You know, God gives us all these dots, these symbols. But then, if that weren't enough, he just says, hey, here's the rabbit. All right, this is it, right here. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that he sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Most of you probably know the the most simple verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God revealed the sacrifice to us.
He didn't hide it from us. He wants us to know. God has filled his book. He has filled human history with symbols that point to the Savior. Now this Christmas, there is no symbol that can bring you lasting peace. There is no symbol that can save you this Christmas. But praise God, there is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I know that during Christmas, studies tell us from recent last 20, 25 years, that more people are depressed at Christmas than at any time during the year. In fact, there are more suicides in the two weeks around Christmas than there are any other time of the year. You know why? Because people buy into the cultural representation of what Christmas is. That it's supposed to make you happy that the Christmas time of year is supposed to light this wonderful joy in you. Can I tell you that symbols will not make you happy. They'll never make you happy. They can't bring you peace. I know that there are people in here who have lost loved ones this year. And I hate to think this would ever happen, but if this is all that I had of my wife, it would be precious to me But it wouldn't be the same, would it? If I didn't have the real thing, no joy there. Sometimes we buy into the fact that these symbols are going to make us happy. There's no toy, there's no plaything, there's no element of this earth that's going to make you happy this Christmas. The angels came. And they said, listen, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Why? Because unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And when God brands Christmas, and he has, here are the symbols that he's used. And we've seen them this morning. And my question to you would be this as we close. Are you hanging your eternity on symbols or on the Savior, which is Christ the Lord? Have you ever received the authentic Savior? Not talking about a manger scene, talking about a tree, talking about the Savior into your life for real this Christmas. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow, I don't know every...